Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Mr. Gadget, and I thought I would call in, and I've had actually several different topics that I have had in mind for uh, possible podcasts, and managed to vacillate between which one I should do, but they're both going to be something that I can do at a later time, because although they are topical of news of the day, they are not necessarily something that is so topical that they will not be just as valid to discuss at some point later in the process. And so I would like to make a comment here today on a recent trip that I made to a customer site uh, in, happens to be Columbus, Ohio. And I'm not going to talk about travel, although business travel is indeed uh, something that is uh, has been on my mind and something I have blogged and even uh, talked about over the air. I have had a series of ideas and a series of forays into trying to do a podcast on a regular basis, and it really seems like uh, this medium is the one that I do on a regular basis, and it's because it's what I do. I phone it in. Right? I call into podcasts. I'm probably one of the most well-known uh, people to call into podcasts out there uh, in the podcasting world, and I discovered podcasts relatively early on. I guess in standard radio they say that for every call that you have, that means you have so many thousand listeners or whatever, and so I'm a representation of uh, the hundreds or thousands of listeners out there for an individual podcast. And uh, I have had, as I say, uh, a series of ideas, uh, Mr. Gadget's Technological Odyssey, which would be delivered from my Honda Odyssey, which is my rolling uh, studio here where I record most of these things as I'm driving along. In the case of the, the rolling studio, I always got that idea and, and thought that was a, a good idea, not only from Dave Yates, who is uh, famous in the Linux and Hacker Public Radio world for driving along in his, uh, might even be a Honda, but whatever his vehicle is, uh, at a rapid uh pace and uh, podcasting as he goes along, uh, or uh, my good friend Nightwise over there in Belgium as he drives from one end of Belgium to the other and uh, records things as he is driving along in the car to make productive use of his time. But also, way back when, when I first started listening to podcasts, and uh, this was before I actually had an iPod uh, of any type. I kind of valiantly resisted the iPod, iTunes kind of thing for several years, but I had various sundry devices, PDAs, if you will, uh, all the way back to the original PDA with John Scully. Yes, I owned uh, an original Apple Newton and really, really loved it. And I'll probably have some commentary on tablets, and you know, there's some things that the Newton got right that the other tablets still haven't gotten right. Uh, but that's a subject for another story. So the PDAs that I had variously along the way would allow me to play music, and then when podcasts come along, I could, of course, uh, put podcasts onto the cards that were involved there. And in fact, when podcasting really came along, I had kind of made the transition away from the uh, Sony uh, had a really excellent Palm uh, OS device, but they gave up on those Palm OS devices. And so I had moved on to various forms of Windows CE and, uh, and Windows Mobile kinds of devices uh, after that particular point. And uh, I was actually using a Dell 
uh, and it was a Dell a Windows mobile device that uh, was the X50V, I believe it was. Uh, I might not have the exact model number right on that, but it's something close to that. And it was a lovely little device. It had a compact flash card, which was pretty much the common card of the time frame uh, for mobile cards. And in fact, I had one of the really coolest of the uh, compact flash cards, which was the IBM MicroDrive. It was actually a spinning hard drive in the size of a compact flash card and gave you unheard of capacities for the time. The first one I had was a 340 megabyte one, I believe, and uh, uh, later on in my uh, series of uh, things that I owned, I, I had the one gig size, and this was unbelievably large for a card capacity at the time. This is when SD cards were still in the megabyte ranges, and having a gigabyte uh, in your small device was a marvelous thing. And I could carry on lots of podcasts. And there was a guy who did a card cast out in California. He eventually kind of pod faded and quit doing that. And uh, But his was, uh, he also used a microdrive, and I believe he even had the same exact device, the Axiom uh, X50V. And that's kind of how I found him out on the Internet and found his podcast. He worked for uh, for uh, Industrial Light Magic, and so he, he worked for the movie company doing all those magical things in movies and had a very interesting take on things and was well worth a listen at the time. And I was recording live to MicroDrive, and in fact, I did a few things, but I never really got serious about it and got hosting. I was always trying to do some kind of free hosting, you know, or things like this, was I really going to stick with it? Uh, I did do a few of those, though. And then, oh, gosh, it's been a couple of years ago now. I was ahead of the curve, I guess, because I was interested in the open source hardware kind of things, and I decided I was going to do open shorts. Open shorts were, uh, I guess, open shorts had episode one and episode two. And open shorts, uh, what kind of a play on words there, right, was the podcast that was going to be about... Uh, open source and hackable hardware. So the idea was not only the open source hardware, which at the time was uh, an open source movement for a handset uh, that was out there, and that one has uh, since failed and uh, fallen by the wayside. There was also the, the uh, open source kind of uh, device that you can put together little modules, and I forget the name of that, but I talked about that some. Uh, also, uh, besides the open source kind of hardware things, it was also going to be uh, talking about putting things like WRT and other kinds of uh, operating systems onto your routers and getting more out of your routers or uh, using your slugs, they were called, the FLU something or others. They were little uh, uh, network devices for network-attached storage that you can buy from Linksys. And they had an Ethernet connection and a USB for a drive. And you could actually install a little miniature version of Debian Linux on those and have those be fully functioning little teeny tiny servers that you could use. Not the most powerful server in the world, but still a useful little device. And you could use the, uh, the USBs to install the operating system and boot those up that way. So that was the idea behind that. But as I say, I managed to get out two episodes of that before I 
I just never keep up at it. The production aspect of producing things and things like that, it's really obvious that this is the way I'm going to podcast if I'm going to podcast on a regular basis, at least for the time being, uh, because I've done more of these successfully in a row than I have any other venture. Now, related to this whole idea of hardware, that's what I want to talk about. And so call this Open Shorts uh, Episode 3 about open source hardware. And this isn't necessarily, well, a lot of this is about open source hardware. Uh, but it's really about hardware and hardware in general. I really think that the dearth of people building things is ultimately going to be a detriment to our society. Uh, and I guess I mean our society in terms of the Western world, or but maybe I really don't, because even in the East where everything seems to be built, it's not like everybody on the street is building things. It's people get jobs to build things in the factory. But where do the ideas and where do the engineers who come up with those ideas come from? Okay, When I was a Ute, when I was young, and I was going to elementary school back in the 60s, right? graduated from high school in the early 70s, I'm totally pre-microcomputers for my, you know, under, uh, for my uh, pre-college years. It was during my college years that microcomputers first came onto the scene. So it was all about discrete transistors and building things either from tubes or solid state. But I was fascinated, fascinated with electronics, and I voraciously read every single book that I could get. I voraciously read every single catalog I could get. Now, there were several catalogs that were the source point for parts uh, which you could use in these different circuits that you could find in the books and magazines. And several of those were available in Kansas City. Uh, one of those was, of course, the ubiquitous Radio Shack store. And Radio Shack was a whole lot more about selling parts and components back then, lots of speakers that you could use to build your own speaker systems and things like that. Uh, that one reminds me of a, a, a funny little aphorism of uh, the guy who I worked for named Jim Rothwell who ran the recording studio at the uh, University of Missouri, Kansas City, where I worked while I was going to the conservatory of music. And I was very interested in recording, and in fact, that's how I got into computers, and I'll tell that story in another episode. But uh, I was very interested in recording as part of the musical experience. And uh, Jim used to say that this is back in the 70s, before he had computers to model and all that kind of stuff, that people who built their own speaker systems didn't know what they wanted when they started and didn't know they didn't have it when they were finished. That <laughs> notwithstanding, the idea of building your own home hi-fi speaker system to go with maybe even an amplifier that you built from a kit or from scratch, okay? And there were plenty of kits during this time. Uh, Heath Kits, uh, there was a Heath Kit store here in the Kansas City area all the way up until the, oh, the early 80s because I remember buying some computer furniture at the Heath Kit store here in Kansas City and bringing that home and building it when I got married in the early 80s, okay? So uh, they were around for a lot longer than some of the other kinds of things, but there were these electronic stores and there were catalogs from those stores. The, the Radio Shack store catalog, there was a local store here in addition to 
the uh, the Radio Shack stores and the Heathkit store that was over on the Kansas City, uh, the Kansas side of the border. There was also a local uh, radio TV kind of store that had outlets in the malls. And so you would go to the mall, and there was actually little stores within a store. You would go to one of the department stores. I can't remember which one it was, at what was called the Blue Ridge Mall, which was the first mall here in the Kansas City area, at least on the Missouri side. And you went into this department store, but on the second or third floor, there was a, a counter that you would go up to, and that was a Burstein Applebee counter, and you could buy parts there. And then they had various stores around the Kansas City area. And a lot of this was centered around selling tubes for uh, replacement of tubes and TV sets and things like that. But there were all these other parts, and the solid state parts. Radio Shack had an extensive set of kits that you built, and the box that the kit came in was actually the printed circuit. That were, it really wasn't a printed circuit board. It was a, a, a board that was your breadboard. It was, a, it was a thing with lots of holes in it. And this was back in the day when you were hand-wiring things. You were uh, soldering together the wires, and it, you had some kind of clip that would stick into the perforated board. But the perforated board was actually the top of the plastic box that all the parts came in. And these things were various all the way from simple things like crystal radios all the way up to a shortwave radio set. I built a regenerative shortwave radio set from a Radio Shack kit. And Heath Kit had an extensive set of kits. Uh, there was also uh, various other kits for stereo amplifiers and things like that that you could purchase and build yourself. The whole thing behind the kits kind of went by the wayside when eventually we got to the point where you weren't saving any money by building the kit as opposed to just buying the thing outright. And it became a point of diminishing returns from building yourself, and eventually it was just people building it because they wanted the satisfaction of having built it from the kit and the learning process of that entire thing. But when it started out, it was actually cheaper to uh, have the person build it from the parts. Now, here's an interesting part, and it's worth a discussion here, of Heath Kit instructions, because I've said this over and over to various people in regards to computer documentation, okay? And everybody knows the old, old adage about computers and computer engineering, which is if if mechanical engineering was like computer engineering, then the first woodpecker that came along would destroy civilization. Okay? And in terms of documentation, especially so. We are sorely lacking in documentation because documentation is not fun. Documentation is not sexy. And documentation is not something that anybody really wants to do. But we need better documentation. Now, Heathkit, the set of instructions for Heathkit to build anything, from the simplest kind of thing that they had, the simplest radio that they had, a crystal set, things like that, all the way up to eventually you could build your own color television, solid-state color television as a heat kit project. They also had the only functioning robot that was ever placed into the home. Why don't we have robots in our home? Heathkit was doing it in the 70s and 80s with computers of the time frame. Why do we have somebody doing a robot kit that's a serious robot kit, not a little radio-controlled car kind of thing that can run around? Nothing against robot builders, but a serious, 
commercial home robot. Why don't we have that in a kit form that I can build? I'd buy it, I'd build it, I'd play with it, okay? These given instructions were such that now some thought, you know, this lady had a solder. So she didn't have to be taught to solder. But unless a secretary at Heathkit who had no interest in all electronics and really didn't know anything about electronics, unless a secretary could sit down with the instructions and build a functioning radio at the end of the process, those instructions were not done. That is a level of detail that I have yet to see in any computer documentation that I've ever seen in over 30 years in this information revolution. And that's what we should strive for. I always talk about you can have user-friendly, and then I you know, hold up one hand and move it up and down, and that you can have programmer-friendly. And I hold up and down the other one. And I move them back and forth like they're scales, right? One goes up, one goes down. One goes up, one goes down. Okay? Always choose user-friendly. And user-friendly means good documentation. And we should be striving for Heathkit. We're never going to get there, but we should be striving for that. Now, building things. We built things. And we learned in the process, physical things. Nowadays, with surface mount technology and things like that, you couldn't build it if you wanted to. And things have gotten so complex, and they started getting complex when computers started replacing all the logic that used to be in discrete transistors or in discrete ICs. And initially, that's a lot of what computers were doing, was just replacing that. But we need to still be building things, and the young people need to be building. You young people need to be building things, I tell you. The young people need to be excited about building things because that's the next generation of engineers that are going to build the world. And the thing that excited me about this is two different things. We had a, a little mini maker fair here in the Kansas City area that I got to on one of the two days. Uh, and down at the Union Station in Kansas City. And one of the things I found interesting was there was a big soldering station where kids were learning how to solder. Every kid should learn how to solder, and then the next step, they should build themselves a little Minty Boost, right? Build themselves a little power supply for their USB device so they can, you know, put in a couple of AA batteries and charge up their music player because that's going to get them excited about electronics. It's going to show them something practical, and they'll move on from there. They had lots of Arduino kits. Even Radio Shack, who I have lamented less and less parts at Radio Shack and more and more about selling you phones and accessories. Nothing against accessories here, but, you know, there's, there's very few parts left anymore at Radio Shack. But they've got a set of kits. And, in fact, the regional uh, sales manager for Radio Shack had gathered up lots of kits from the different stores and had them there for sale at the Mini Maker Fair. And that's what we need, more people building those things and learning those things, and a certain percentage of them are going to get excited about electronics through that, part, uh, through that process. I also, when I was in Columbus, went by the Micro Center store because I have this, you know, little goal that I set my, for myself that uh, before my life is over, I'm going to go to every prize in the United States of America, I've gone to all of them in California, 
uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm working through and uh, also get to every Micro Center store. You know, I mean, whether it's a Micro Center store, I always go by. And different Micro Center stores have, they, they're stocking similar stuff, but they have different layouts. And so I find new things. This one was totally different. I guess, according to the guy I was talking to there, they kind of try some new things at a few of their stores, and this happens to be one of them. They're reworking their tech support area to have it be a much more interactive and user-friendly kind of a, a, of a situation. And they have a little wall there that had essentially the kind of things you see in Make Magazine, highly recommended uh, for making things, right? And that Make Magazine, the kits, the Arduino kinds of kits, and other kinds of electronic kits there, uh, as well as some of the other branded things that you see in Make Magazine that have to do with the little Arduino controllers and other types of things related to the small controller world. And I was so excited that there was a place where someone could go and do that instant purchase buy, that, that impulse buy of an electronic kit, take it home, build it, play with it, program a little microcontroller, get it to blink an LED, and then move on from there to getting it to do all kinds of other things. And you need to go out there and make something. People need to have that experience. If you've never soldered something together, get yourself a learn how solder kit and, you know, practice a little bit there. Get yourself a Menti Boost kit and build it. it there's, it's, a, it's hard to describe the feeling of satisfaction you get from making something in electronics with your own two hands. And it goes beyond the, as the amateur radio, the amateur radio guys, uh, you know, talk about appliance operators. They talk about how nobody builds, you know, uh, there's a bunch of people that are amateur radio operators that don't build their own equipment. They just buy it and, and use it, okay? And we need to try to go beyond just being appliance operators for everything in our life and get into actually making something electronic ourselves. Learn what happens when the magic smoke is released during the soldering process when you apply too much heat. Okay? Once you release the magic smoke from the semiconductor device, it will no longer function. Okay? Learn that. Have that feeling of the lack of touch in the ends of your fingers when you've been soldering too long. It's a wonderful experience. So, this is Mr. Gadgets, and I guess we can call this Open Choice Version uh, Episode 3. Get out there and make something, okay? And I've been rattling on long enough, prattling on long enough, but as long as Ken is willing to accept these phone submissions from me and put them on the air, I'll keep on pretending that somebody is listening to them. And you can get a hold of me. Just mail me at, uh, you know, MrGadgets.com. Just uh, mail HPR at MrGadgets.com. Give me some feedback. Tell me that I'm full of CARP. It's an acronym. Uh, let me know if you like what I'm talking about or want me to talk about something different. Have a question about anything I've mentioned along the way. And I'm going to go ahead and sign off now here, but the way that I always ended my two whole episodes of Open Shorts, okay? Go out there and... Do something. 
to make something do something. I know. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. For more information on the show and how to contribute your own shows, visit hackerpublicradio.org.